You're listening to The Garrett Ashley Mullet Show on Anchor FM. I'm Garrett Ashley Mullet, and I want to talk about everything. Yahweh spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying, Speak to the people of Israel, and say to them, When any man has a discharge from his body, his discharge is unclean, and this is the law of his uncleanness for a discharge. Whether his body runs with his discharge or his body is blocked up by his discharge, it is his uncleanness. Every bed on which the one with a discharge lies shall be unclean, and everything on which he sits shall be unclean. And anyone who touches his bed shall wash his clothes and bathe himself in water and be unclean until the evening. And whoever sits on anything on which the one with the discharge has sat shall wash his clothes and bathe himself in water and be unclean until the evening. And whoever touches the body of the one with the discharge shall wash his clothes and bathe himself in water and be unclean until the evening. And if the one with the discharge spits on someone who is clean, then he shall wash his clothes and bathe himself in water and be unclean until the evening. And any saddle on which the one with the discharge rides shall be unclean. And whoever touches anything that was under him shall be unclean until the evening. And whoever carries such things shall wash his clothes and bathe himself in water, and be unclean until the evening. Anyone whom the one with the discharge touches without having rinsed his hands in water shall wash his clothes, and bathe himself in water, and be unclean until the evening. And an earthenware vessel that the one with the discharge touches shall be broken, and every vessel of wood shall be rinsed in water. And when the one with a discharge is cleansed of his discharge, then he shall count for himself seven days for his cleansing and wash his clothes, and he shall bathe his body in fresh water and shall be clean. And on the eighth day he shall take two turtle doves or two pigeons and come before Yahweh to the entrance of the tent of meeting and give them to the priest." And the priest shall use them, one for a sin offering and the other for a burnt offering. And the priest shall make atonement for him before Yahweh for his discharge. If a man has an emission of semen, he shall bathe his whole body in water and be unclean until the evening. And every garment and every skin on which the semen comes shall be washed with water and be unclean until the evening. If a man lies with a woman and has an emission of semen, both of them shall bathe themselves in water and be unclean until the evening. When a woman has a discharge and the discharge in her body is blood, she shall be in her menstrual impurity for seven days and whoever touches her shall be unclean until the evening. And everything on which she lies during her menstrual impurity shall be unclean. Everything also on which she sits shall be unclean. And whoever touches her body shall wash his clothes 
and bathe himself in water and be unclean until the evening. And whoever touches anything on which she sits shall wash his clothes and bathe himself in water and be unclean until the evening. Whether it is the bed or anything on which she sits, when he touches it, he shall be unclean until the evening. And if any man lies with her and her menstrual impurity comes upon him, he shall be unclean seven days and every bed on which he lies shall be unclean. If a woman has a discharge of blood for many days, not at the time of her menstrual impurity, or if she has a discharge beyond the time of her impurity, all the days of the discharge, she shall continue in her uncleanness. As in the days of her impurity, she shall be unclean. Every bed on which she lies all the days of her discharge shall be to her as the bed of her impurity. And everything on which she sits shall be unclean as in the uncleanness of her menstrual impurity. And whoever touches these things shall be unclean and shall wash his clothes and bathe himself in water and be unclean until the evening. But if she is cleansed of her discharge, she shall count for herself seven days, and after that she shall be clean, and on the eighth day she shall take two turtle doves or two pigeons and bring them to the priest to the entrance of the tent of meeting. And the priest shall use one for a sin offering and the other for a burnt offering. And the priest shall make atonement for her before Yahweh for her unclean discharge. Thus you shall keep the people of Israel separate from their uncleanness, lest they die in their uncleanness by defiling my tabernacle that is in their midst. This is the law for him who has a discharge and for him who has an omission of semen, becoming unclean thereby. Also for her who is unwell with her menstrual impurity, that is, for anyone, male or female, who has a discharge, and for the man who lies with a woman who is unclean. Welcome back to the Garrett Ashley Mullet Show. This is, of course, Garrett Ashley Mullet coming to you from Greeley, Colorado for episode 605 of this podcast. Today is Thursday, April 27th, 2023, and man, oh man, what a way to open a podcast. I'll tell you what, I don't know, I don't even know how to follow that. I just, I, I mean, here's what I did. I, you know, I, I marked this podcast episode explicit because even though this is the Bible, we are talking about menstruation because the Bible is talking about menstruation. I'm just reading it, right? I don't shoot the messenger. I'm just reading it. Uh, we're talking about menstruation, and we are also definitely talking about semen. And both alike, right? Both alike. If they make you uncomfortable, well, guess what? They should. <laughs> they should make you uncomfortable to talk about. And so I am going to spare you and I both a great deal of potential embarrassment by not delving into this chapter in great depth. But, you know, I keep saying it more than to this point in 
Genesis and Exodus more in Leviticus than I did in Genesis and Exodus. Genesis and Exodus make so much more sense from a narrative standpoint. And I'm much more familiar and I'm much more comfortable talking with you about what's going on, what are the themes. But then we get to laws about bodily discharges. And I'm just thinking, man, this is this is intense. This is pretty intense stuff. And you know what? There's probably plenty of people who they are very comfortable talking about these things and they do so candidly. And maybe some of those people are more comfortable talking about them because they've read Leviticus 15. I'm not quite sure. But that said, keep a couple of things in mind. One, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for four things that the man of God might be complete, equipped for every good work. And so even just to know that there's a certain modesty, there's a certain protectiveness and honor that we should give to those parts of our body or those parts of our biological process that are deemed dishonorable or less clean. Even just knowing that as you come out of this passage is good to pair with the fact that God made our physical bodies. God made our bodies and he knows. So on the one hand, you think to yourself, man, alive, I don't want to talk about this with you, Garrett. And I say, okay, that's fine. I, don't, I really don't especially want to talk about it with you either. So it's mutual. But then just briefly, I do want to say, maybe it would be appropriate if we thought more in terms of what do you do when you do have a medical condition and you go seeking medical advice and you go to a doctor and you talk to the doctor and you say, hey, I'm really embarrassed to admit this, but I've got this condition, right? I have a medical condition, I think, but I don't know what it is. And I, I don't know what to do with it. I don't know how to treat it, how to manage my symptoms. And it's kind of private. It's kind of embarrassing. You get to talking with the doctor you know, if you really want to get some help there with your condition and you have to explain, you have to say, here's what happens and when it happens. And what do you think, doc? And what the doc will do is say, oh, well, you know, either A, let's run some tests. B, I know exactly what you're describing and there's a name for it. There's a term for it. And here's what it is. Here's what that condition is. And here's what we can do for you, or here's what you should do for yourself. Uh, either that or the doctor will say, well, let's take a look, all right? And when the doctor says, let's take a look, even there you say, oh, I'm really uncomfortable with that. That's very embarrassing. It's the worst thing. It's the worst thing, or it's on the short list of the worst things in life. But how you get through it when you're talking with a doctor, with a medical professional is you say, you know what? This is their job. This is what they do. This is what they do for the living that they earn. And I am just trying to get help here. That's all. And so also, you know, how much more when this is God himself? And that's how the chapter starts. That's how verse one begins. Yahweh spoke to Moses and Aaron. So this isn't Moses and Aaron just getting weird on us. And it's not translators taking liberties, and it's not you and I reading things into the text. This is in the text, whether we like it or we don't. And quite frankly, I would be just as well if it wasn't in the text. But then again, if all scripture is breathed out by God, 
and profitable, well, then that must include Leviticus 15. And so consider with me, if you will, and we are not going to go in depth and in detail. You can go and study this in depth and in detail if you want, but I'm not going to go there with you. I'm content to have read it and to have pulled out a couple of key details here. Verses 32 and 33 say, this is the law for him, okay? Also for her and for the man. And you have conditions. You have conditions laid out. And some of these are totally normal and they're cyclical. And some of them are unusual and they're more the exception than the rule. And either way, Verse 31 says, thus you shall keep the people of Israel separate from their uncleanness, lest they die in their uncleanness by defiling my tabernacle that is in their midst. So we see here that even though God made the body and also has created it with the capacity to have these functions, and sometimes they go awry, but other times they're working as they were created to. Either way, even though God made these parts of the body and these functions, even when they're disordered, even when they're not disordered, either way, there's a holiness to the tabernacle and there's a holiness to the presence of God and there's a holiness to worship of God, which God takes very seriously and encourages us in a protective way, in a kind, gracious way. He encourages us to take it seriously. He is being gracious here to say, take this seriously and don't be crude and don't be mixing in your uncleanness with my holiness, lest you die. That's what it says. Lest they die in their uncleanness by defiling my tabernacle that is in their midst. So if we get nothing else out of this passage, it should be a sobriety with regards to Two facts that can be true all at the same time. One, that God made us with these functions and made us able to do what we do and to have go on what goes on. All right? So God is not bashful. He's not unaware. He's not in the dark on these things. His goodness is not contingent on his just not ever going there or ever talking about these things. But he is a God of order, not a God of chaos. And so these facts of life belong in a certain place in the community or in the home or in your private restroom in our day. They belong in a certain place of life, but they don't belong in the place of worship in the case of Leviticus 15. And is there a lot that we need to question or examine or consider in the way that it changes from Old Testament to New? Yeah, you betcha. But one item that I believe should translate is even just how we talk about these things. How we talk about these things should have a mark of humility and reverence for God and mindfulness and sobriety. Take, for instance, a certain female teacher, woman, who the Gospel Coalition recently highlighted yet again in their good faith debates about homeschooling. They had one episode and the gal who was featured in that episode 
is famous or infamous, as the case may be, for having spoken publicly at a gathering of the saints about how being a woman who menstruates, she can understand Christ on the cross. She likened a woman's menstruation to the crucifixion. And that is a very dangerous, very unwise choice, in my view. It is a very dangerous thing to do. It is dangerous for all the same reasons that I would never compare the man's discharge in this context, in the context of Leviticus 15. I would never compare that to something as holy as the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. I just wouldn't go there. And no one should, in my view. It's something we should take very, very seriously. And also, it's something that we should expect fully for God to sort out. And in the case of what we choose to say, what we choose to do, that should cause us to be careful in what we say and do, and to be holy, and to be sober and vigilant. But even in the case of how we advise others, we should take care. We should really take care that we are not embracing coarse jesting and unwholesome talk and mixing it in with talk of God, for instance. We should be very careful about that because here we have a deadly serious warning from God and a prescription. You know, if he's the great physician, here's a prescription. I want you to keep that over there. I want you to keep this over there, not here, where my holiness dwells in the midst of the people. So also, I think there is a translating principle we must remember and we must keep in mind. But moving on to my favorite American politician and a man that I hope runs for president of the United States in 2024 and a man who I expect fully will have attempts left and right to derail him and to sabotage him from the left and from the establishment Republicans who are jealous, who are envious, but had better not sabotage him. If they want what is best for this country, they had better not, or else they condemn us. If he is the best pick, well, then you should rally behind him. And if someone else is, well, that will become clear as well. And then you rally behind them, humanly speaking. But DeSantis, Ron DeSantis, Florida's governor, I think has done a remarkable job and I would love to shake his hand and I would love to thank him for the influence that his job as governor has exerted over the rest of the United States. And insofar as Ronald Reagan once compared America to a shining city on a hill, hearkening back to what Jesus said about not letting your light be hidden under a bushel, but letting your light so shine before all men that they might see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Ronald Reagan once made an allusion to that and compared America to a city on a hill, a shining city. And I think Ron DeSantis, another Ron, is someone who likewise can make America great by helping America to be good again. We have outbreaks of evil left and right in this country, heinous things, evil things, wicked things, bizarre things that are happening 
And it's not all just mental health, ladies and gentlemen. There is a spiritual war, which we as Christians, we must believe, is going to manifest itself. How couldn't it manifest itself in the most powerful country in the world, the most powerful country in world history for that matter? Not just now, but that has ever existed so far as we know, so far as we have any records of. But how much better if we are a good example instead of a bad example? That would be my hope. That would be my prayer. And maybe that is not in the cards, but we'll see. In the meantime, DeSantis nukes reporter over totally BS claim. Focus on the facts and stop worrying about narrative, he says. So the story here is you have a press conference in Israel that happened today. And DeSantis was asked about a former detainee at Gitmo who claimed DeSantis personally watched him being force-fed. DeSantis said, and I quote, no, no, not at all, when he was asked if he witnessed any instances of Al-Qaeda terrorists being force-fed. Quote, that's BS, totally BS. According to reporting by Ryan Saavedra over at the Daily Wire, when the reporter mentioned that the former detainee claimed that DeSantis was present at force feedings, DeSantis quickly fired back at the reporter. Quote, who said that? How would they know me? Okay, think about that. Do you honestly believe that's credible? So this is 2006. I'm a junior officer. Do you honestly think that they would have remembered me from that? Of course not. They're just trying to get into the news because they know people like you will consume it because it fits your preordained narrative that you're trying to spin. Focus on the facts and stop worrying about narrative, end quote. So here's Pierce Morgan, who comes up in the same piece by Ryan Zavedra. Pierce Morgan is quoted. One of the things they said was that you authorized the use of force feeding for detainees who were on hunger strike, end quote. DeSantis immediately fired back, quote, that's not true. So I was a junior officer. I didn't have authority to authorize anything. There may have been a commander that would have done feeding if someone was going to die, but that was not something that I would have had authority to do, end quote. When asked again if the reporter was wrong, DeSantis responded, quote, yeah, absolutely. So why is this relevant? Why should you care? Why does this matter? It actually has... A lot to do with why my podcast is long form and why I keep podcasting even though I don't have an audience of millions. I'm not a household name. I'm known in my household and some others. I don't know how many others, but a few. But reading Neil Postman's book, Amusing Ourselves to Death, reading another book that he co-authored with Stephen Powers, how to watch TV news. The problem with news media today that I've recognized is, thanks to Neil Postman, so often what is in the news is not supposed to actually convince you of anything. It's not actually supposed to inform you. What it's supposed to do is give you a impression of having been informed so that then you feel a feeling and you're very confident in doing exactly what the corporate media wants you to do. 
what the powers that be that fund the corporate media want you to do. That's the purpose of corporate media. They sell advertising, and this is one thing that has been recently remarked about Tucker Carlson. They sell advertising, and even if you have a very large audience, if the left has been working to boycott you with regards to advertising, well then, maybe you're not making the company so much money, and that's really what they actually care about. That's really what they care about. Never mind that you bringing in so many millions of viewers will probably translate to other talent on your network also getting some spillover and getting a bump in how many people want to watch them and therefore also being able to sell advertisements on their programs. Never mind that. What we've taught the left in this country is that if they decide to cancel somebody, even supposedly conservative corporate media will help them to do it because it's a money game. It's a numbers game. Not numbers like how big is your audience, but how much money do you make? And that can creep in even just for little old me. And yet, I think it's important for someone like little old me to be speaking as somebody who, if I'm not blue collar, my collar still has a very blue tint. I think it's important for someone like me who has a wife and eight kids with a ninth on the way, homeschooling, my wife stays at home, I am the breadwinner. I think it's important for men like me to still be speaking up, no matter how many or how few are listening. I think it's important if we want big corporations that have a lot to lose, big talent, big stars who have a lot to lose, if we want them to be so courageous when they have so much to lose, then those of us who don't have that much to lose, not really, not in terms of money or property, fame and fortune can be powerful things. That's why Jesus said it's easier for a camel to enter the eye of a needle than it is for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. When people like you and me who don't have as much to lose, nevertheless fail to refuse to risk anything, and yet act outraged, the people with a lot to lose are also not risking anything. There's a certain hypocrisy to that. And who's going to show them how it's done? If not us, if not me and you, who's going to show them how to be honest? You know, it's occurred to me, and I want to be careful in what I say next, but I also want to be clear. It has occurred to me many a time in the past, oh, I don't know, seven, eight years, that what I'm saying, if I ever try to get a job outside of the oil and gas industry, it might, it might make it very difficult. I might have a challenge. And increasingly what I'm seeing is, even within the oil and gas industry, when big oil and gas companies are increasingly trying to cater to investors that want wokeness, or they think they want wokeness, or lending institutions, or regulatory bodies want this or that, And so we now have to skate to where the puck is going as we think. I could be jeopardizing my career even in the oil and gas industry, which is supposedly so conservative. You know, it's amazing when you sit in on town halls and conversations and you read the press releases and you look at the websites. It's amazing to see 
talk of DEI and ESG right up front. Because where do they get the where do they get the uh, HR people? Where do they get the regulatory people? Where do they get their management from? The same place that a lot of big corporations do, the institutions of higher learning, the academy, the places that hand out the diplomas for the people who are willing to pay or at least be obedient. And so I think to myself, every now and then, I don't have a lot of money to lose. I mean, I make a decent living or what would have been a decent living here several years ago before inflation ticked up. I make a pretty decent living compared to a lot of people that I know. Far more money than I ever would have thought I would have made a decade ago, even 15 years ago. And yet, I don't make that much money. And yet, I have all of these children. I have this wife. And I think, what happens to them if I get blacklisted? What happens if the recruiters, who are typically third party, if they even just feel like maybe the risky move is to Mm -hmm put forward this guy who is outspoken in his Christian beliefs. He's an outspoken conservative. He holds to some problematic thoughts, some problematic positions. What happens to my ability to provide for my family, to protect my family moving forward? It's a troubling thought. And just because I'm from the state of Montana, (laughs) that doesn't mean I'm a stranger to it. Montana is no exception these days. There's a piece up on theblaze.com from Joseph McKinnon from just today. Montana legislature formally gives trans Democrat the boot for encouraging an insurrection. And what you have to understand is Eastern Montana is cowboys. Chat GPT was recently asked to give a short description, a short character sketch of the people who live in each state in the U.S., Montana got cowboys, which is great. Some other states didn't fare so well. Some got things like backwards to describe their residents. Minnesota got avoids conflict. (laughs) Colorado got drug users. Ohio got down to earth, I think it was. But Montana got cowboys. And the reputation for Montana having cowboys is almost entirely earned on the eastern side of the state. The western side of the state has been, by and large, overrun with people from California who brought their California money and drove up property prices and also brought regulatory appetites for things like logging and mining. And so where does Zoe Zephyr, this man wearing women's clothes, where does he come from? Missoula, Montana. Which side of the state is that? The western side of the state, like I've been telling you. It's important to know where Missoula is. Missoula is the western side of the state. But then the funny thing is, because everybody is so spread out in Montana, you will have parents and extended families and friends and whole communities travel hours and hours and hours for their high schoolers to play, the high schoolers that are in their league in football, for instance, or basketball, for instance, or they'll run against each other in track and they will go to the middle of the state. If that's where they have to go, they'll go all the way to the Western side of the state. If that's where they have to go to get competition, because high school sports is a big deal in Montana. There's not a lot else going on 
but high school sports is a big deal. And small town Montanans are very supportive of their high school students who are athletes. And so even several years ago, there were reports that I was hearing in Savage, Montana from people we went to church with who were very involved in the local public school about going to track meets hours and hours away, deep into Montana, even though we were right on the border with North Dakota, deep into Montana, they would go. And here's a transgendered player. And what do we do about that? And here are some very flamboyantly homosexual players. And what do we do with that? And you say, well, it's not here in Savage, Montana. And I say, don't be naive. And you say, it's not here in Sydney, Montana. Oh, and then it is all of a sudden, because where did your administrators get their education and who do they want to stay in contact with? Who do they still want to be in touch with from their college days or from where they moved there from? They want to stay in contact with people who are in some cases, in many cases, very progressive. And so they walk these fine lines and they see how much they can just ratchet it up. So this Zoe Zephyr is going to try and make a fool out of Montana. And the Republicans have sent him back home to Missoula. Nope, if you're going to try and stir up insurrections in our state capital, we're not for that. There's still enough cowboys in Montana to say, no, you can go home and vote. You're not going to be here carrying out publicity stunts for the whole nation to see, to make a mockery out of us, to try and terrorize us into giving you what you want. There's still enough cowboys in Montana to say no. But then again, Montana doesn't have everything together just because it's got cowboys. That's not enough to go on. We need Christ. Y'all need Jesus. It wasn't just the desire for better educational opportunities, better access to healthcare that caused my family to move down here, for instance. Sometimes cowboys can be downright rotten in their own way. And so my point here is whether we're talking about states in the Midwest or in the Rocky Mountains region or in the Southwest or on either of the coasts or in New England, it it almost doesn't matter because everyone has something to repent of. And some have a very hard time repenting of anything because they think we're good people. We're more conservative than that person over there. We're more conservative than Missoula. And so therefore we're good, right? And it's folly. It is folly. There's been some reporting on this here recently, actually again at the Daily Wire. And I love me some Daily Wire, by the way, I do. I like the Daily Wire. I like the Blaze for the most part in that order. And even better than I like the Blaze most days, I like not the Bee. Not the Babylon Bee is where that comes from. No, this is not satire, in other words. I don't like that they highlighted J.D. Hall by extension, sharing some Protestia tweets right after Easter Sunday. We should not be normalizing Protestia. That's another thing to repent of, as far as I'm concerned. The Zoe Zephyrs of this country should be warned, not that we're going to do anything to them, but that they destroy themselves. And there's a righteous judge who will not be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. 
But so also, there are the types who enabled and empowered. And when they didn't, it was because they were too egotistical to put up with competition. There are those who need to repent of being just downright awful and thinking that it's sanctified if they're just conservative. No, it doesn't work like that. It doesn't. Now, speaking of conservatives, Joseph Curl at the Daily Wire reports just today, Bill O'Reilly says Tucker won. Fox News did Tucker Carlson a favor in firing him. He was interviewed on WMAL, a Washington, D.C. radio station. And he said, he'll make a lot of claims. Quote, litigation was the reason. There are a number of lawsuits pending and then more coming where Mr. Carlson is going to be involved, particularly the one where he had a spy in his organization and she taped him and his staff and filed a suit in Manhattan. And the lawyer representing her, I understand, is, you know, saying, well, if you don't pay us a lot of money, we're going to release the tapes, end quote. What you have is, once again, claims of sexism, harassment, misogyny. But you also have in the mix here this whole Dominion lawsuit that Fox settled out of court supposedly for $787 million, almost an, almost a billion dollars if you round up. Definitely three quarters of a billion. That's a lot of money. And why? From some, the report is, they were terrified they were going to lose viewers. They were hemorrhaging viewers because they called Arizona too early, and then they wouldn't go back. It didn't make any sense, unless you regard Fox as being the Fox. Why do you call them Fox anyways, if you're not going to expect that they act like a fox sometimes? The fox guarding the hen house. Haven't you ever heard that saying? Why would we believe that they are conservatism and that we need to take our cues from them. It's very unfortunate. I think that's the big reason that Tucker Carlson was fired because what do you know? If people are taking their cues from Fox News and then by Tucker Carlson being their most popular personality, their most popular talent, people are taking their cues from Tucker Carlson on what it means to be a conservative. You can't have him saying This is a battle between good and evil in this country, not just a debate about particulars with the left-right. This is a battle between good and evil. And no, my friends, it doesn't follow that just because you can find imperfections on the conservative side of things, therefore, there's no goodness, there's no truth. It's all subjective. It's all just whatever you feel. That's not how it works. Otherwise, why do we find, when I keep reading these chapters of the Old Testament right now is where we're at, when I keep reading passages like Leviticus 15, and God says, I want you to do this when these are the circumstances for these people and these situations, do this lest you die. Why would he need to say that if there wasn't a need for sinful man to be instructed in these things? If it wasn't the case that without that warning, people would just be struck dead and then we would act all confused. Like, what's going on? That wasn't fair. People do that, right? People will do that. They'll wait until you make a mistake and then they say, aha, gotcha, if they don't want you to succeed. People will do that. God doesn't do that. So it's actually very merciful. It's very gracious of him to say on the front end, I should warn you, this is what I expect. 
from you guys. Speaking of deadly situations and people playing gotcha, I'm going to go ahead and play cut one here. This is Congressman Thomas Massey talking with the director of the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, and Firearms regarding the whole pistol braces question, which is very relevant to me. This is my business, by the way. This is also your business, even if you don't have one, but this is my business. I'm going to go ahead and play cut one. I want you to take a listen, and then I'll have some thoughts for you. Just recognized for five minutes. Thank you, uh, Mr. Chairman. Mr. Director, in 2012, John Spencer, Chief of Firearms Technology Branch, wrote a letter to Alex Bosco, inventor of Stabilizing Brace. We talked about this letter already. He, he said, based on our evaluation, FTB finds that the submitted firearm brace, when attached to a firearm, does not convert that weapon to be fired from the shoulder and would not alter the classification of a pistol or other firearm. You're aware of this letter? I, I am aware of the letter, did, yes. Did Congress pass, uh, between this letter being issued to Mr. Bosco and, uh, and the production and distribution of 10 to 40 million of these braces, and the implementation of your rule, did Congress pass a law? What changed? Uh, Congress did not pass a law, but something did change. What changed is that that item that was submitted was not produced and was not the item that was marketed. And Mr. Bosco, I think, before this committee said that people were using stabilizing braces in ways that he hadn't anticipated. Okay, let me challenge that assertion. So you say that the brace changed, and so you had to implement this uh, rule well, I've got here the actual original brace that this letter was responsive to. Are you telling me that this brace is exempt from your rule? Uh, what I'm saying is, is that if people have products that are not is designed... Is this brace and, and exempt from your rule? I, I, I can't sit here and classify... This is the brace you wrote the letter to. Classification, and if it's not a rule to be attached as a short-barreled rifle, it will not okay. be subject to the rule. Can I get, could, would you please quit telling this committee that the brace has changed and that's why you did the rule when in fact you're not exempting the, the same brace that you gave this letter to? If the brace is submitted, we'll classify it. Would you submit, would you, do you still have the same agreement that this brace that you, that the ATF agreed to in 2012 should not be under the jurisdiction of your rule? If that brace is submitted with a firearm, we will examine and classify it. If it doesn't okay, qualify... Okay, reclaiming my time uh, because it's pretty obvious you're misleading people here when you say that the brace has changed because your rule affects the braces that didn't change. How many days have passed? How many days do people have to comply with this rule? Um, so uh, they can always comply, but the, the initial period... Before they're felons? But the initial period, uh, I believe... Uh, ends at the end of May. Okay, but, but people end of are May, so we're and it was 120 days. Is that correct? People are only felons if they intentionally. Is it 120 days? The law, uh, I believe it's 120 days from. So the we've got 36 days left of the 120 day grace period. Can you tell us here today how many people have complied by registering this product? Uh, I am not sure of the exact number. I can check, though, and get back to you. Uh, there are people who are making applications. There also can be detachment. So in other are words, we don't count. We don't, it, that's not for us to regulate. If somebody simply, we wrote the rule to make it easy to comply with. If somebody just at their home detaches the weapon from the brace and keeps them apart, uh, they do not have to register anything. They can keep the brace. They can keep the business end of the gun. Okay, that, that's great clarification. So you're not going to do some kind of constructive 
uh, prosecution where you say, oh, well, you had this and you had that and you intended to connect they're keeping them. The, I mean, they they're can just keep them separately. them as we as Keep we them separately. Them, but it's, okay, and, because and, that's and, not clear in your rules. Um, and and it, how, what is the punishment if somebody is uh, convicted as a felon under having this piece of plastic? On, uh, if people are convicted of not following the Gun Control Act, uh, it's a serious felony conviction. Ten, but is but it that 10 requires years? intent. Is it, can you just give me the number? Is it 10 years? Uh, I, I, I don't. I believe it's a statutory maximum of 10 years. I had, 10 years for owning a piece of plastic the, the, that, was, that you were told was legal and that you owned for a decade and that millions of people did? This is what offends the sensibilities of Americans, whether they own these or not. Do these, do these make the gun fire more rapidly? Uh, the, 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 uh, the stabilizing Do these braces, increase the muzzle velocity? The stabilizing Do these allow the, you're not answering any of the questions. That's, do these allow the firearm to carry more uh, bullets? The stabilizing rounds? braces allow, if they're, if they're the kind that count, allow the firearm to be shouldered let me ask you this. That Congress I'm, glad, I'm glad you brought it. that up. So this is a stabilizing brace here. Here's a pistol without a stabilizing brace. Does the buffer tube, could that be shouldered? Uh, again, I, I, that would have to be submitted to the firearms experts at ATF, and we could classify it. Do you, do you it, think you have do? the authority to class, reclassify this pistol as a short barrel rifle simply because it has a buffer tube? Uh, again, the rule is aimed at clarifying and there's there are specific factors this, that are set forth in the rule do you think which, you have the authority to reclassify the firearm above because it can be shouldered uh, again uh, for me to sit here and try to do a classification that firearms experts who've worked for decades do would not be appropriate but we will give classifications and if things don't qualify under the rule then they don't qualify. And nobody, the piece of plastic in and of itself is absolutely I not submit covered you don't by the have rule. that authority and you don't have the authority to do what you did. I reel back. Okay. And cut. So what we have here is a little bit of excitement after some talking about free speech and conservatives and who has a lot to lose and Leviticus 15, which you and I both felt uncomfortable as I was reading through that and explaining some of it, probably. I'm just guessing. I'm just going to go out on a limb. I at least, I, I won't speak for you. I at least felt uncomfortable. Here we have an example of the gotcha. The gotcha is when the left wants gun control. They want a return of the assault weapons ban. They want to infringe on your Second Amendment rights. In fact, the most radical and the most honest of the folks on the left, they don't believe the Second Amendment really should have ever been in the Bill of Rights in the first place. But this is a gotcha because it's a backdoor for banning these things wholesale and going after law-abiding Americans by saying, ah, you're clearly a felon. You are clearly a felon. You owned this and then you didn't say how high when we said jump, even though we had said this is totally legal and you could totally purchase it anywhere firearms and their accessories could be gotten. Even though you went through the background check to get the firearm that this pistol brace is attached to, now we're going to say you have this many days to register your firearm or else you could be punished with up to a decade in prison. This is not a joke. And it's not okay. This is not okay. God bless 
Thomas Massey. I wish that the deep red states that Luke Rosiak over at the Daily Wire has been reporting on, states like Wyoming, I wish that the deep red states who pride themselves on being so conservative, and don't even get me started on Wyoming. I find Wyoming obnoxious. Personally, I'm sure there are some decent people who are from Wyoming. I don't doubt that for a moment. I've just had maybe a bad sampling. That's possible. But as a Montanan, right, from the state, the chat GPT even says, yeah, just cowboys. That's, that's how we know. That's how we know you're from Montana. You're a cowboy. As somebody from the state that is just a little bit above Wyoming, let's, let's be honest. On the map, we are <laughs> to the north. Although Canada's to the north of us, so what do you do? Alberta. Alberta's all right. Alberta's got plenty of cowboys. Texas of the north, as they call it. As somebody who comes from Montana, I wish that the states and the counties and the municipalities that pride themselves so much on being deep red would channel what Rep. Thomas Massey is communicating here. Channel that same energy. Bring that same energy, please, all of you. It's not enough that we've got a Thomas Massey. We need a whole nation of Thomas Masseys because this is the proper role of government as conceived of by the founders of this country. And actually, more to the point, it only happens if the citizens of this country similarly say at a certain point, that is an abuse of your power. You were not given this authority that you are grabbing for. No, 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 no. I mean no disrespect, but actually all the more rather than less because I do respect the rule of law. No, what you're doing is a perversion of the rule of law, and it actually makes us less safe, and it actually imperils decent, hardworking Americans who want to provide for their families and they want to protect their families. They do it with regards to gun control. They do it with regards to transgenderism. They do it with regards to your kids' education. They do it with regards to fiscal policy. They do it with regards to foreign policy. It's time that we as Americans said, stop, enough. No more of that. We are recalling you. That would make a great deal of difference. That would do a great deal of good in the world because we are a shining city on a hill, unless we don't feel like being that anymore. We are a shining city on the hill, unless we just don't feel like it. We've given up on that. We've grown weary in doing what is good. I, for one, hope that is not the case. I pray that is not the case. And yet, I turn here back to the Daily Wire and the Daily Wire News specifically reporting on a Minnesota trans lawmaker who wanted to remove the anti-pedophile clause from human rights statute and then tries to play the victim as colleagues move to protect children. I'm going to go ahead and read this for you in its entirety because this is actually very important in relation to the bit about gun control. Minnesota lawmakers explicitly excluded pedophiles from the state's human rights statutes after one of their colleagues suggested loosening language that exempted adults 
attracted to children from enjoying legal protections under the law. Minnesota State Rep. Lay Fink, a member of the Democratic Farmer Labor Party and the first self-identified transgender in the Minnesota legislature, introduced an amendment in his Take Pride Act that would have altered the definition of sexual orientation in the Minnesota Human Rights Act such that a provision clarifying that the term does not include a physical or sexual attachment to children by an adult would have been omitted. The move, in other words, would have allowed adults who claim attraction to children as part of their sexual orientation to be protected from discrimination under the law. After the proposed amendment made national headlines, however, the Minnesota House unanimously voted on Wednesday to amend the Minnesota Human Rights Act in order to explicitly clarify that the physical or sexual attachment to children by an adult is not a protected class under the law. Minnesota State Rep. Harry Niska, a member of the Republican Party who introduced the clarification, said the unanimous vote was a glimmer of common sense. Fink, a biological male who claims to be a woman, later asserted on social media that the original amendment would have changed nothing about sexual orientation and was misrepresented by the media. Folks could have insisted, but they didn't want to, the lawmaker added. They instead used the opportunity to amplify the hatred of trans people. There was never a controversy, but it didn't matter. The lies exploded into a whirlwind of hate intended to hurt me. And that's a direct quote. Minnesota Family Council CEO John Helmberger told the Daily Wire that the organization appreciated the unanimous vote and expressed hope that both parties would work to protect children from exploitation. We're also extremely grateful that this amendment was adopted unanimously. That's a great expression of the desire of legislators in both parties to protect children from exploitation, he remarked. However, we wish it hadn't come to this point. We wish that the authors of this bill would have realized the potentially extremely dangerous direction this legislation would lead and corrected it before it got to the House floor. Helmberger added that some lawmakers had told their constituents that the Minnesota Family Council was misleading the public on the dangers from the loophole for pedophiles offered by the initial amendment. Quote, yesterday's unanimous vote shows that our concerns were grounded in fact, and Minnesota legislators realized that. He continued, we hope this is the start of a new bipartisan drive to protect Minnesota's kids from exploitation. Democrats won control of the Minnesota State Senate last year, enabling lawmakers to pass a ban on so-called conversion therapy defined as any measure intended to change an individual's sexual orientation or gender identity or reduce sexual or romantic attractions or feelings toward individuals of the same gender. Lawmakers also approved a measure requiring Minnesota to protect individuals who violate a law of another state to procure an abortion. Minnesota Democratic Governor Tim Waltz endorsed both bills on Thursday as well as legislation which will protect access to gender-affirming health care. Fink said that the enactment of the three bills marked an amazing celebratory day in the movement for a more just future. The trouble here is they're going to keep coming back again and again and again, and they will make you eat your own words when you opened the door to the normalization of homosexuality, you normalized gay marriage. You said it was just the same as 
heterosexual marriage. They're going to make you eat them words when you normalized transgenderism. Because the presupposition that is common to both is that your gender identity, your sexual preference is a human right. You opened the door and you can't close it again. All you can do is try to hold back the very energetic, very angry, very rebellious people on the other side of that door who are going to keep trying to knock it down and you along with it. And you won't be able to get far left enough for these people. They will come back for you and they will try to destroy you and replace you with somebody more in keeping with a consistent interpretation of their presuppositions, which are satanic. This is not left versus right anymore. This is good versus evil. And so you can't say, well, okay, well, we'll give you a half now and you can come back later for the other half and we'll fight you then. No, no, you're going to give them half now. And when they come back later, they might get 10%. And then the next time they get 15 and then the next time they get 25 and then they get everything that they wanted from the beginning, which will amount to a total devastation of this country. Morally is a important category here, which the people who compromise don't recognize. All they understand is practical. And they think that these two can be collapsed into each other that the moral and the practical mean whatever they deem reasonable. And yet there are reasons which reason doesn't know. It doesn't get better here until we learn not just the word no, but the reason for it and when you use it and why you use it. You can't figure out the how and even the what until you know the when and the how and the why. Ryan Zavedra, also at the Daily Wire, reports two days ago, Texas law enforcement officials shut down Antifa counter-protest of Protect Texas Kids demonstration. I'm going to give you a little bit of a warning here before I play some audio from the so-called protest. Here is cut two. Take a listen. Yeah. 
Stand up. Stand up. And cut. Here's a quote from the reporting at the Daily Wire. While the officers were attempting to place Falks into handcuffs, another member from the counter-protest group, later identified as 33-year-old Christopher Giolt, interfered with officers' efforts by swinging an umbrella at officers. Giolt struck an officer in the face and was then placed under arrest. End quote. Continuing on, a couple of paragraphs below. Police tried to keep Grant back, but she allegedly did not comply and was later taken into custody. Grant here being a female, Megan Grant, 37-year-old, attempted to charge past FWPD, Fort Worth Police Department, officers multiple times to gain access to the Folks and Giot. Folks was charged with assault, causing bodily injury, times four, evading arrest, detention, resisting arrest, and assault on a peace officer. Giot was charged with interference with public duties and assault on a peace officer. Grant was charged with interference with public duties and resisting arrest. And here's the difference, right? Here's the difference between the left and the right. Why is Antifa here? Because they regard protect Texas kids demonstrations as being fascism. Protect Texas kids was about protesting a drag show event. We are not dealing with little debates about how much the government should spend anymore, how big the government should be. What we're dealing with now is from where does our government get its categories of good and evil, justice and injustice, when they talk about diversity, who all is invited to the party? Are pedophiles invited to the party? Apparently, drag queens are and in some circles, already, already, and it will get increasingly this way, out-and-out pedophiles are, yes, to be normalized. And at the same time, at the same time as we see a relaxing of every norm with regards to even children, the mutilation of their bodies, their sexual activity with adults, even children, every norm with regards to sexuality is being called into question or abolished by the left. But simultaneously, they want to go after tens of millions of law-abiding Americans and make them felons and put them behind bars potentially for as long as 10 years if they own a piece of plastic that goes on the back end of an AR-15, for instance, that just happens to be four inches shorter than the normal, than the standard that you could purchase anyways. But they want to ban those two. They want to ban all of the above. They want to basically upend everything and carry out a revolution. We have to understand that. Somebody who understood this, I think, clearly was G. Edward Griffin, when in 1943, he read a directive to American communists to label their opponents fascists. 
Uh, the B staff published just today a piece highlighting a video of G. Edward Griffin. G. Edward Griffin wrote The Creature from Jekyll Island, which is very informative, very eye-opening. Uncomfortable, but good to know. Important to know. I will play another clip for you here. This one of his reading of the Directive to American Communists on what their strategy should be. Here is cut three. Take a listen. In 1943, the following directive was issued from party headquarters to all communists in the United States. It read, when certain obstructionists become too irritating, label them after suitable buildups as fascist or Nazi or anti-Semitic and use the prestige of anti-fascist and tolerance organizations to discredit them. In the public mind, constantly associate those who oppose us with those names which already have a bad smell. The association will, after enough repetition, become fact in the public mind. And cut. <clears throat> now, to anyone who has been wondering, let me just ask the question. What is a fascist? What is a fascist? Is a fascist a parent who believes that a man, for instance, shouldn't be permitted to dress up as a woman and then dance in a very sexual way in front of children, anybody's children? Biden says there's no such thing as somebody else's children. And so, okay, did he intend for me to take it in this direction? Probably not. But if there is no such thing as somebody else's children, then therefore, what's your objection to my objection to somebody else's children being taken to a drag show in which a grown man is going to dance around naked or near enough in a sexual way to groom children? And when I say groom children, I mean to lower their defenses to lower their inhibitions, to lower their sense of this being perverse and wrong and gross and detestable. He's going to try and lower their inhibitions and seduce children because he gets a sexual thrill out of that, because he's a pedophile. He's not just a man dressed as a woman. He's a predator. G. Edward Griffin in 1943 reads for us this little gem and Will some say, ah, no, you can't believe that. That's conspiracy theory. Which part of this is absurd? The idea that communists exist and have existed for decades. The idea that communists want to take over. The idea that communists have a hard time taking the direct approach, and so they take indirect approaches. The idea that communists would lie the idea that communists would plan, that they're smart enough to plan. I mean, for crying out loud, they took over Russia. They took over China. They're not stupid. I mean, they're very foolish because there's no fear of God before their eyes, but they're not dumb people. They're very clever people, communists. So which part of this would be unbelievable, particularly when 80 years ago, exactly the tactics that we're seeing play out were prescribed. What would it take to prove to somebody who wants to wave this all off that this is an attempted destruction of this country as we know it, 
so that communism can be enacted. What would it take? That's an honest question. That's a genuine question. What would it take? For some people, I think really truly there is no amount of evidence, there's no amount of proof that would be sufficient because they just don't want to believe. Because to believe would require them to make choices and adapt to the lifestyle and take risks and they're selfish. And even if it just buys them a little bit of time, well, that's better than sticking their own neck out. Their idea of keeping their nose clean and sticking to their own business is they're not going to take a risk for anybody else, much less this country, because that's another thing that the Democrats and the radical left and the socialists and the communists, but I repeat myself, have done to try and destroy this country is get us to hate our own country or to feel a kind of antipathy for it so that we wouldn't protect it. Oh, this old thing? Nah, you don't want that. You know what's better? What I've got. Come here, take a look. I'm going to play here for you cut four. This is a viral video that Tucker Carlson has just recently released. It is now at over 80 million views. Here's Tucker Carlson talking just a little bit about what he has noticed since leaving Fox News, his last show having been last Friday, tomorrow marks one week. Here is Tucker Carlson saying good evening. Take a listen. Good evening, it's Tucker Carlson. One of the first things you realize when you step outside the noise for a few days is how many genuinely nice people there are in this country, kind and decent people, people who really care about what's true, and a bunch of hilarious people also, a lot of those. It's gotta be the majority of the population, even now. So that's heartening. The other thing you notice when you take a little time off is how unbelievably stupid most of the debates you see on television are. They're completely irrelevant. They mean nothing. In five years, we won't even remember that we had them. Trust me, as someone who's participated. And yet at the same time, and this is the amazing thing, the undeniably big topics, the ones that will define our future, get virtually no discussion at all. War, civil liberties, emerging science, demographic change, corporate power, natural resources. When was the last time you heard a legitimate debate about any of those issues? It's been a long time. Debates like that are not permitted in American media. Both political parties and their donors have reached consensus on what benefits them, and they actively collude to shut down any conversation about it. Suddenly, the United States looks very much like a one-party state. That's a depressing realization, but it's not permanent. Our current orthodoxies won't last. They're brain dead. Nobody actually believes them. Hardly anyone's life is improved by them. This moment is too inherently ridiculous to continue, and so it won't. The people in charge know this. That's why they're hysterical and aggressive. They're afraid. They've given up persuasion. They're resorting to force. But it won't work. When honest people say what's true, calmly and without embarrassment, they become powerful. At the same time, the liars who've been trying to silence them shrink, and they become weaker. That's the iron law of the universe. True things prevail. Where can you still find Americans saying true things? There aren't many places left, but there are some, and that's enough. As long as you can hear the words, there is hope. See you soon. Speaking personally, 
What resonates with me about this video, the audio I just played for you, is that I am not extraordinary. I am an ordinary citizen of this country. And this country is important to me, not because the land in and of itself has such a special sacredness, but because this is where my family lives. This is where my friends live. This is where I grew up. This is where I'm from. This is what I call home. And you can say, if you want to be very spiritual as a Christian, this earth is not our home. And I say, yes, amen, in a great many senses. But then at the same time, it's not either or, friends. For me to love my neighbor as I love myself requires that I take into consideration whether my friend, my family member, my coworker, some random stranger I see on the street has suitable housing, clothing, food, dare I say it, a job that pays a living wage, the ability to purchase the necessities of life, to live under just laws, which are interpreted and enforced with impartiality and due process. I don't just say to my neighbor, be warmed and filled, or I'll pray for you. If I find that he has some very real material needs, and if I see trouble coming, if I see trouble is here, that destroys his ability to have those decent necessities of life. How can I keep silent? And thank you to Tucker Carlson for some encouragement. When decent people, hardworking people, honest folk just tell the truth, just say things that are true and that are real, there's power in that. I start each episode with a chapter or more of scripture. Why? Because God's word will not return void of power. Does it have special power because I'm the one reading it? Or does it have special power because this is God's word? And does it have an effect because someone is reading it? And we derive a benefit from believing along the lines which God has ordained, which God has laid out. By God's grace, we should want to act like we are expectant of a better city. And yet, the passivity speaks to perhaps an opposite reality. The over-spiritualizing of every dysfunction, every disorder, every evil, the over-spiritualizing of every one of those things as best responded to by just staying out of all of that speaks to perhaps the opposite of a recognition that this earth is not our home because what might be the case is that we actually fear man who can kill the body, even if that's all he can do to us. We say that we are hopeful for a better city, but then by our actions, we demonstrate that we are clinging to this one. I take more cues from Dietrich Bonhoeffer than I do the likes of Joel Osteen, and there's a kind of prosperity theology that has crept in to even many conservative notions, even though they would be appalled to think of themselves anywhere near Joel Osteen. There's a kind of prosperity theology 
that has crept in where they say, I know that I'm doing God's will. I know that I'm pleasing God. I know that I am doing what's right and saying what's true because God is blessing me with material prosperity. And therefore, they dismiss as troublemakers or those who have just brought it on themselves, other Christians who say, repent instead. Repent while there is time. You know, it's important for me to point out, I'm reading a book by Oz Guinness. The publisher's summary calls this his magnum opus, but Oz Guinness wrote Fool's Talk, Recovering the Art of Christian Persuasion. And I'm reading it right now. Release date from Blackstone Audio Incorporated was February 1st, 2016. It's 10 hours, 15 minutes long, narrated by Ralph Lister. I'm very much enjoying it. I'm maybe halfway through, and I'll do a full episode talking about it when I'm finished. But for the time being, I bring it up because there's a certain notion of wisdom and folly, which I think creeps into a lot of Christian life and thought in America and supposes that worldly wisdom is godly wisdom and that godly wisdom is folly. And that's where you see the compromises, very similar to the compromises that you see politically. You see them ecclesiologically because, after all, the word we get church from, ecclesia, was originally the assembly of all the citizens of a city-state in a Greek polis so they could discuss the business of the city. So as it turns out, even the word we get church from at root was the assembly of the citizens of the city to talk about city business. And so you say, well, yeah, but this earth is not our home. And I say, you should read Augustine's City of God for the first time. And if you have already read it and you're still talking like that, you should read it a second time, perhaps. It's a long book. It'll take you a little bit, but maybe you didn't get as much out of it the first time around as you could have. There's a value in attending to the welfare of the city. And we know that from the prophet Jeremiah, for instance. Even when the Jews are in exile in Babylon, God tells them to seek the welfare of the city and pray for its peace. Build houses, plant vineyards, plant gardens, take wives, have children, give your children in marriage so that they can also have children after them, increase in the land and do not decrease. Seek the welfare of the city is a practical command. For in its welfare, you will find your welfare. And God says that through Jeremiah as a way of telling us that it's a good thing for us to seek the welfare of our household in our city and ourselves. It's not the be all end all. We're supposed to seek first the kingdom of heaven and his righteousness. But then what are we told? And all these things will be added unto you as if you should actually be motivated by all these things, but in the right order, in the proper place. So you have people out there misinterpreting it and twisting it and coming to the wrong conclusions or being duped by those who do and saying, ah, well, you shouldn't seek your own welfare ever for any reason because that's not Christ-like. You shouldn't ever want all these things to be added unto you. You should only want Jesus Christ. And I say, what does Jesus Christ want? He wants you to have all these things added unto you. 
God our Father is a good Father who gives to his children good gifts, but it has to be in the proper order. And there does have to be boldness. Proverbs tells us to expect boldness from God's servants. The wicked flee, though no one pursues, but the righteous are bold as a lion. And yet I come to fool's talk and Os Guinness talking about how it's always been the case that Christians embraced being thought of as foolish because the wisdom of God is considered foolishness to the lost world. I don't want to give too much away, but let me just suggest to you that there can be a wisdom, a godly wisdom in leading a podcast episode with Leviticus 15, even if it's uncomfortable, maybe even especially if it's uncomfortable. It's unusual. But does that say as much about the inappropriateness of it as it does about the deficiency of so much of what else we're used to? We should think about that. We should consider that. I'm not saying do a 12-week study on Leviticus 15, but I'm saying for crying out loud, if you don't hear anyone ever talking about it, maybe that's not so good. All scripture is breathed out by God, and yet are we bringing the whole counsel of God to bear on the problems of this day? Or are we squeamish? I'm not calling for us to be rude or to make people uncomfortable on purpose just for the purpose of making them uncomfortable. That's hardly persuasive. Pardon me while I puff on my pipe. But I do think too many of us are squeamish. And I think as such, it's too easy to make us naive and therefore vulnerable and therefore not sober and vigilant and therefore not fully engaged and therefore not complete and equipped for every good work. Take, for instance, if you do a Google search for The Creature from Jekyll Island, which I mentioned earlier in this podcast episode as a book I've read, which I've talked about on this podcast episode, you can go searching for my write-up on it and my podcast episode you can listen to. G. Edward Griffin is described by the little Wikipedia blurb on the front page that comes up when you search for The Creature from Jekyll Island, which, by the way, they put in lowercase c, which is curious. It's almost as if they're trying to decrease the sobriety with which you would even approach the idea of reading this book. So they put creature with a lowercase c, the creature from Jekyll Island. Uh, C should be capitalized. And actually, as a matter of fact, Goodreads puts it as a capital C. Audible puts it as a capital C. The Daily Beast puts it as a capital C. And so on and so forth. Why does Google put it with a lowercase c? Curious. But Wikipedia is quoted with just a brief couple of sentences. George Edward Griffin is an American author, filmmaker, and conspiracy theorist. Aha, aha, okay. Now I know that I don't need to take him seriously. Thanks for that, Wikipedia and Google. Great job. Way to look out for me. Griffin's writings promote a number of right-wing views and conspiracy theories regarding political defense and healthcare. See, it's not even grammatically correct. Like they're not even taking the time to really make it a polished smear of G. Edward Griffin. That's not grammatically correct. I'm sorry. Why should I take you seriously here, Wikipedia, 
Google, it should read, Griffin's writings promote a number of right-wing views and conspiracy theories regarding politics, defense, and healthcare. But what is defense even? Defense. Defense in general? Or is it a specific interpretation of defense? Like, let's say, for instance, the military-industrial complex or the Department of Defense or something like that. Foreign policy, you could say, perhaps, but that would maybe be redundant with politics. This isn't even well-written, but it's supposed to give you something of a feeling of general disrepute, a lack of credibility. So you come away saying, ah, I'm not going to waste my time on some garbage book that doesn't make any sense, doesn't tell me anything. It's very subtle and it's very clever and it works on a lot of people unless they just so happen to not have very good grammar and they don't read so good anyways. And maybe they say, yeah, whatever, cool, fine. But on the other hand, you have Oz Guinness drawing on centuries to millennia of tradition and more besides if you go into the Old Testament and you realize, as Guinness points out, that the patron saint of prophets is Balaam's donkey, Balaam's ass. If God can speak through Balaam's donkey, don't get too carried away with thinking you're so special because he opened your mouth too. Be humble. It's God who fights or else the battle is lost. It's God who builds a house or else its laborers labor in vain. It's God who watches over a city or else the watchman stands watch in vain. I'm going to play one more clip, just one, just the one. This one's less than two and a half minutes long, but this one is actually perhaps a good illustration of what Oz Guinness is getting at and why maybe some of us who have means and we have too much to lose need to not be taking ourselves quite so seriously moving forward as we have to this point. We need to not be so wise in our own eyes. We need to not be so vain and conceited. We need to stop doing anything that we are doing from vanity or selfish ambition. Here is one more cut for this episode from the movie UHF. Take a listen. Look, everybody, he's coming back on. Hey, welcome back to Stanley Spadowski's Clubhouse. Are you kids having a good time? Yeah! Hey, how about that cartoon? That was a weird cartoon, wasn't it? You know, that cartoon, it reminds me of a dream I had last week, and I turned into a bird with a candy bar head. And then there was these other birds, you know, they are all trying to eat my head and everything, but I got away from them. And then, then there was this tree, you know, and there was this weird lizard, you know. What the? Whoa! 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 I, I want to show you something. I want to, I want to show you something. This is my new mop. George, my friend, he gave me this mop. It's a pretty good mop. It's not as good as my first mop. I miss my first mop. But this is still a good mop. Sometimes you just have to take what life gives you. Because life is like a mop. And sometimes life gets full of dirt and crud and bugs and hairballs and stuff. You, you, you got to clean it out. You, 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 you got to put it in here and rinse it off and start all over again. And... And sometimes, 
Sometimes life sticks to the floor so bad. You know, a mop, a mop is not good enough. It's not good enough. You you got to get down there like with a toothbrush, you know, and you got to you got to really scrub. You got you to get it off. You got to really try to get it off. But if that doesn't work, that doesn't work. You can't give up. You got to you got to stand right up. You, you got to run to a window and say, hey, these floors are dirty as hell and I'm not going to take it anymore. And (laughs) it's a silly movie. What can I say? It is a guilty pleasure for me. Weird Al. I enjoy Weird Al. I enjoy his music. I've got lots of his music in my library on my phone. I have for a long time been a bit of a fan of Weird Al. This is a Weird Al movie. (laughs) Stanley Spadowski is the janitor of the establishment of the TV station. And just for anyhow, Weird Al's character puts him on and says, yeah, sure, fine, go for it. And what do you know? He's a hit. Why? Because he's not pretentious and he's not stuck up and he's not reading from a script and he's not trying to impress anybody. He's just trying to deliver value to the audience. And you know what? The regular folk who want to watch somebody being genuine they resonate actually with this simple man being very foolish, being very attached to his mop, but then also having a kind of integrity where he says, you know what? You know what? Sometimes life is like this mop. Because <laughs> I know this mop and I know life. And there's a humility there. There are different kinds of folly. And there's one kind of folly for people who are very wealthy very successful. Therefore, they are deferred to quite often. There's another kind of folly that actually is very close to humility. And it actually is something God can bless and work with. And by can, I mean he will. And by will, I mean he has said in his word that he blesses and gives grace to the humble. But that kind of folly that goes with being wise in our own eyes and arrogant and conceited and puffed up, that kind of folly God opposes. That kind of pride, that God opposes. And even for our own sake, he must because it's unclean. There's an appropriate kind of folly that has to do with not thinking too highly of yourself. And it's more to do with just not being highly educated, not having anything to brag about, There was an old bit I remember watching back in the day when I was much younger on The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, where Will and his cousin Carlton both were competing for the same job, and they were being put on the spot to detail their credentials. And Carlton outlines his many impressive accomplishments and boastworthy qualities And Will followed up with, well, I don't like to brag, but. And the question from the interviewer was, but what? Oh, no, that's just it. That's all. I just don't like to brag. And it's funny and we laugh, but then there is something to that. There is something to a Stanley Spadowski just saying, hey, these floors are dirty as hell. I'm not going to take it anymore. (laughs) I'm going to mop these floors. There's something glorious about that. 
actually. And you know what? If Tucker Carlson has tapped into some of that, great. Pray for him. If there are a lot of people who are establishment types in this country, even in deep red states, who have not quite discovered that, and they're just about their bottom line, they're just about their own legacy, their own selfish ambition and foolish pride, forget about that. No, that's not going to be blessed. God is not going to bless that. He's not going to establish that. It can only end in sadness. So what do we want? What do we want? What is our vision of the good life? That's the question I'll leave you with. We should be going to God to get that vision of the good life. Who would know better than the author of life? But that's all the time I've got for this episode. I really do have to run. As always, thank you for listening. Until next time, God bless. You've been listening to The Garrett Ashley Mullet Show on Anchor FM. For more content like what you just heard, subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. Also check out thegarrettashleymulletshow.com to subscribe to email alerts when new episodes are published. As always, you can reach me with any comments, questions, complaints, objections, or insights at garrettashleymullet at protonmail.com. Thank you.